Good morning. It's good to be back with you at Westminster Presbyterian Church. My name is Ian Hammond, and I have the privilege of bringing the Word of God to you this morning. But before I do that, I was asked to give a gospel glimpse to you because we are indeed partners together in the gospel. I am uh, your RUF International Campus Minister at Northwestern University, where we welcome international students with hospitality, proclaim the gospel, and equip kingdom ambassadors. This quarter, in many ways, uh, feels like a new beginning as we return to ministry in person on campus. This was exciting and daunting. Uh, At our kickoff event this fall, we had over 100 international students join us for a cookout, and I only recognized like a handful of those students. And so when we restarted our weekly dinner and Bible study on campus, I was a bit worried and I was anxious and I thought, would anyone come? But at our first Bible study back, we had the largest attendance that we've had in the history of our ministry at this Bible study event. Uh, Most of the students that had participated formerly had moved on during the pandemic. Um, At the end of this first Bible study, however, I was sitting at a table with a group of Indian women, and at the end of our Bible study, they looked up and said to me, this was the first time that we have ever read the Bible, and they quite enjoyed it, they said. A couple weeks ago, uh, a student who I'll call Stephen from Iran returned to our dinner and Bible study, and he brought friends with him this time, and so after I asked him, So why did you bring your friends tonight? And he told me, I brought my friends because I wanted them to meet Walter. Because Walter is the most joyful person I have ever met. Walter is a member of our church at Grace Pres North Shore. And he volunteers with RUFI. He loves the Lord and he loves international students. And he indeed has a contagious joy in Jesus Christ And his joy was so compelling that Stephen, who is an atheist himself, said to me, though I'm an atheist, I want to believe in God if it means I can have the kind of joy that Walter has. So ask the Lord to open Stephen's eyes and his ears to the Lord Jesus. He is going to accompany us to church uh, this Advent. Now that we're at the end of the quarter, new faces have become familiar faces. You know, over the past four years, RUFI has become the place on campus where international students can find friendship and also bring their open and honest questions about faith and about the Bible. And so the Lord has built and is building a wonderful community And so we invite your prayers for this ministry. Ask the Lord to bring all of the students that we welcome at these hospitality events into our dinner and Bible study. Ask our Father to give his spirit to us generously. And ask the Lord that many would come to saving faith. I also wanted to let you know that my wife Hannah and our daughter Finley are doing very well. I know that you prayed for them. And the Lord heard your prayer. So thank you so much. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your genuine partnership in the gospel. It means so much to us. All right. 
So this morning we are in the book of Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 3, looking at verses 1 to 17. Colossians is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. He writes this letter to them in order, the, in order to encourage them in their growth in spiritual maturity. He wants them to grow, and apparently they do too. But false teaching has crept into the church, and it has the potential to derail them. And so Paul pins this letter so that they might avoid this false teaching. And he also pins this letter to explain to the church the true path to spiritual change. And so I invite you to join me in standing as we read our scripture passage this morning. This is God's word from Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian and slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we hear from your word this morning, we pray that you would give us ears that hear and eyes that see your kingdom, O oh God, coming to us in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. People never change. Have you said this before? Perhaps there were promises and apologies, but it happened again and again, and again. Broken promise after broken promise. People never change. Or maybe you have tried and you tried, but you did it again. You had another outburst of anger, 
another illicit click on the internet, another drink too many, too many, another word of gossip slip from your lips. I'll never change, you think to yourself. Maybe you have read self-help books and made New Year's resolutions, and you do well for a while, but you end up back where you started. True and substantial change is hard. Spiritual growth is difficult. You begin to question if it's even possible. Well, the fact is, is that we are all changing and we are changing all the time. No one is static. And Paul implies here in Colossians is that we are either being changed and conformed to what is earthly or what is above. We are either becoming more like the world around us or more like the Christ who reigns above us. And his desire, of course, is that we would be conformed to Christ Jesus. And so in these 17 verses, Paul gives us a manifesto of sort concerning Christian change. How do we change? How do we grow? How do we make progress in the Christian life? Paul says that this can happen. But how? Well, in these verses, Paul gives us three cornerstones for spiritual growth. He says spiritual growth only happens in Christ Jesus, requires a response, and begins with the word. Let's look at these three cornerstones together this morning. First, spiritual growth only happens in Christ Jesus. At the center of spiritual growth is the Lord Jesus Christ in our union with him by faith. This is the essential context for change. This is the precondition for spiritual growth. And because this is the case, Paul starts here and returns here repeatedly. Look with me beginning in verse 1. He says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, yes, something has happened in history. The Lord Jesus Christ came. He died on the cross for sins. He rose again from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father, and he will return in the future in glory. Yes, this is true. But it's more than that. He is saying that what has happened to the Lord Jesus Christ has happened to you through your union with him. This historical reality has present impact in your life. He says you are with Christ. When you came to Jesus by faith, your old self under the rule of sin died with Christ, and your new self under the rule of the Spirit was born. And when Jesus returns in glory, you will appear with him. And so before you do anything at all in terms of spiritual growth, you must first understand that something has been done to you. When Rick Hoyt was born in 1962, he could not speak or walk. And though Dick and Judy, his parents, were advised to put him in an institution, they insisted on giving him a rich and full life, especially involving him in community sports. Later on, um, 
a group of skillful engineers created an interactive computer for Rick so that he could communicate with his family and friends. And so in 1997, Rick spoke to his father and said, I want to run in this five-mile benefit run for this lacrosse player who was paralyzed by an accident. Now, Rick's father was in the military, but he was far from being a long-distance runner. Nevertheless, he pushed his son, Rick, in the wheelchair for those five miles, and they finished second to last place. And that evening, Rick told his father, Dad, when I am running, it doesn't feel like I'm handicapped anymore. With this realization, this would be the start of over a thousand races that Rick and his father would do together, including many triathlons. And so in January of 2020, Rick and his father were inducted into the USA Triathlon Hall of Fame. Now, imagine with me for a moment that at the night of that induction, at that ceremony, a reporter comes up to Rick and asks him, Rick, what does it take to finish a triathlon? You might think to yourself, he's asking the wrong person. His dad did everything. He pushed his son. He pulled his son. He carried his son. And yet Rick gets all the benefits. The only reason that Rick finished a single one of those races is because he was with his dad. You would think this, and well, you would, you would be right. Paul, by saying that we are with Christ in his death and resurrection, is saying that Christ Jesus did all the work, and we reap all the benefits. He pushed us, he pulled us, he carried us into the new creation. We did nothing, he did everything. This is what it means to be united to Jesus by faith. And our union with Christ comes before any other spiritual good we might do. Luther, the champion of God's grace during the time of the Reformation, made this dynamic abundantly clear for us. He noted that the imperatives of the law are distinct from the declaratives of the gospel. And this distinction in Scripture is crucial. Look with me beginning in verse 13. Paul says, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. This is the logic of spiritual growth. This is the difference between the gospel and world religions. The gospel says you forgive because you have been forgiven. World religion says you forgive because you are seeking to obey the law and earn your forgiveness. The former leads to a life of thankfulness and other focused love. The latter leads to a life of thanklessness and the self-preoccupation of self-righteousness or self-pity. This morning, if you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, you have been united to him. You have died to sin. You have been raised to newness of life. And when Christ Jesus appears, you will appear with him in glory. And so my question is, do you think of yourself this way? 
do you think of yourself as being in Christ? You have a new identity, a new status, a new power at work in you by the Holy Spirit. You know, the Christian who understands himself or herself as being in Christ is much further along in the journey of Christian growth than the person who anxiously strives, believing that new life is the destination, not the starting point of change. Spiritual growth only happens in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, are you in Christ? Have you come to him by faith and repentance? Are you looking to him not only for forgiveness, but for fruitfulness in this life? If not, you must not clean yourself up. If you do so, you have missed the point entirely. Christ Jesus came to this world for sinners, not the righteous. You can't earn it. You cannot achieve it. You are spiritually paralyzed. All you can do is receive him. And when you do, not only are you forgiven of all of your sins, declared righteous in the sight of God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you are also set free from the slavery to sin. Then and only then can you grow in spiritual maturity. Now, Paul doesn't stop here. He says that God has acted and we are called to respond. So second, let's see that Spiritual growth requires a response. Fundamentally, there are two responses Paul directs us to in this passage. The Puritans called these two responses with the rather complicated terms of mortification and vivification. To mortify means to put to death. To vivify means to bring to life. And so what are we to put to death? Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now, what is earthly is described for us in two lists. The first one comes in verse 5. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. This first list is focused on our desires. It begins with the specific behavior of sexual immorality. And then it moves to the effect of this behavior on our character, which is impurity. In other words, it is corrupting, it is defiling, it changes us for the worse, it progressively makes choosing sin easier for us. From there it moves to the roots of sin. The root of sexual sin is passion or lust. This is an over-desire that masters us. This is this desire out of control, out of proportion. It's not just wanting something, it's having to have it. And this leads to what Paul calls an evil desire, a desire for something that is morally off-limits, forbidden against God's law. And ultimately, we see that sexual morality, as is the case with all sin, is a matter of worship. It's covetousness, which Paul calls idolatry. You know, this reveals the central concern for Paul behind these lists. He's not just listing off behaviors that we should avoid. He is describing a life. He's describing the fruit of a heart that worships idols instead of Jesus. 
This is the key insight for Christian change. Much of many philosophies of change do well by paying attention to circumstances, communication patterns, and life experiences to see how those things affect how we respond to our situations and to others. But what they often miss, they often fail to see, is that at the base of things, this is a matter of worship. Do we trust Christ? Or rather, are we trusting the rather disappointing idols of prosperity, of popularity, of power, of sex? The second list comes for us in verse 8. Read with me there. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. If this first list is about desire, the second one is about our words. It begins with the feelings of anger, wrath, and malice. Then it moves to the speech of slander and obscene talk. These are sins that come out of our mouth. This first list was described in terms of our relationship with God. The second list is described in terms of our relationship with one another. He continues, look with me in verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. The reason we do not lie to one another is because... We are a part of a community that is being renewed after the image of its creator. And this community is not determined by race or region, class or culture. It is determined by Christ, who is everything to us and in all of those who are united to him by faith. You know, what we truly believe about others eventually comes out of our mouths. You know this, right? It might come out as secret gossip, passive-aggressive comments, or even open hostility, but our words, both online and in person, reveal our hearts. The Lord Jesus Christ himself says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Paul says here that we should see Christ Jesus in his people. And that should set the terms for how we feel, how we think, and how we speak of them. And so when an older person is disregarded, Christ Jesus in them is disregarded. When a them is rejected. And when a person of color is treated as second class, Christ in them is treated as second class. The call for us this morning is to put to death sins of desire and of the mouth. We are called to mortify it, to put it to death, to enact the death penalty on our sinful desire. This speaks to the seriousness at which we should deal with sin. We do not coddle it. We stomp it out. We do not flirt with it. We do violence to it. We do not cater to it. We cut it off. You know, we should not lament our inability to overcome that last stage of sin when we have welcomed those earlier stages. This is an invitation to look at our lives to see when and how sin begins to rear its ugly head 
and then commit to cut it off. You know, when I was a student in college, I heard about a pastor within the RUF community that committed adultery with a student upon her graduation. And as you can imagine, this sent shockwaves throughout the whole entire RUF community. Uh, People began to ask, will this happen to me? Pastors' wives asked, will this happen to my husband? And my campus minister, who I met with, had been encouraging me to enter into the ministry. And so I sat down with him at a coffee shop off campus, and I asked him, will this happen to me? And what he said to me that day is, is is stuck with me. He said to me, Ian, you don't just wake up one day and have an affair. This comes down the road from compromise after compromise after compromise. And you know, he was right. Before this, there were eyes that were not diverted. There was a thought life that went unchecked. There were feelings that were increasingly welcomed. There were meetings that shifted from their Christ-honoring purposes. There was secrecy. And so at each point along the way, this man continued down the path until saying no to this person became too much to bear. And so he dove in, and he destroyed his marriage, and he dishonored the Lord Jesus Christ. He could not say no because he had repeatedly and regularly said yes. This is how sin works. It enslaves us. We put sin to death because in the end, allowing sin to run its course leads to destruction. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Not dealing with sin in your life is not is like not treating metastasized cancer. It will spread and it will kill you. It's like the small weed that you look and see in the corner of your garden and you don't do anything about it and then you come back a week later and it has killed everything. Sin is deceptive. It is deadly. We must put it to death. And so I'll ask, is there a sin in your life that you have grown increasingly content with? Imagine what will happen if you allow the sin to fester, to grow, to run its course. Sins of desire will cause us to forsake Christ. Sins of the mouth will destroy a beloved community. They both lead to destruction, and so Paul says, put it to death. You know, I'll add one thing here. These verbs are all in plural form. Paul is writing to a community of people, not just to individuals. Look at verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Spiritual growth is a one-body project. No, we do not flippantly air dirty laundry, but if we are caught in a sin and we begin to feel that we cannot get out, we must expand the circle. Invite the spiritually mature among you into your life. We cannot be too proud. We must enlist the help of others. Now, spiritual growth is not only a negative thing, it's also a positive thing. We don't just put off, put away, put to death. We also Put on. Look at me beginning in verse 12. 
Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Like a new set of clothes, we are to put on these characteristics that fit those who are beloved and belong to God. You know, as you read this list, an image of Christ begins to emerge. Was not Christ the perfect embodiment of all of these attributes? This is a call to Christ's likeness, which Paul makes explicit in verse 13. We are to be forgiving as the Lord has forgiven you. This is what compassion and kindness, this is what meekness and patience looks like in action. It looks like Jesus, who prayed while upon the cross, Lord, forgive them. It looks like, it looks like love, verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, I imagine if you're anything like me, at this moment you might be feeling a distance between who you are and who you would like to be. And I want you to know that you just might be further along in this than you realize. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are right there with the Colossians. Paul writes these exhortations to these believers because they needed to hear it, and we need to hear it as well. But I also want you to see what Paul says is already true about these beloved brothers and sisters. Verse 7 In these you too once walked when you were living in them. At your conversion to Christ in the past, there has already been a radical shift in your life. Verse 10, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You are presently being renewed by God. Verse 12, you are chosen, holy, and loved. Though you may not always feel like it, you are already a new person, a holy person, a set-apart person who is beloved by God. You know, there's something profound in this, I think. Pastor Brian Habig, in his sermon on this text, makes an important observation about verse 10. You know, it's not the old self that's being renewed. It's the new self. You are becoming who you already are. It's like we're putting on a suit that has been properly tailored for us. Before Christ Jesus came, what fit us well was the sin suit. It was cut in all the proper places. It was nice and snug. But we have changed. We have grown out of those old clothes and we need some that fit us properly. And so when we seek the things of this earth, when we worship idols instead of the living God, when we clothe ourselves in those old clothes, we are seeking to put on clothes that do not fit. We are going against our new nature. Yes, we must still fight. Jesus has not returned yet. We, are not, we have not repeared, appeared with him in glory, but we are not who we once were. We have put on the new. We have put off the old. And so we must seek the things that are above. We must make this mindset ours. 
Third and lastly, and briefly, notice that spiritual growth begins with the word. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul here brings everything back to worship. He does this because behavior change is the result of heart change, and heart change is the result of the word of Christ living in you. It is through the word taught and sung with gratitude in the heart that the spirit of Christ conforms us to himself. These are God's means of grace. The key word for us here in verse 16 is richly. Our lives should be lavishly filled with the word of Christ. Our churches are meant to be pillars of truth overflowing with wise teaching and songs on the Lord's day. It should come from the pulpit, yes, but as Brian said earlier, it should be happening among us as we encourage one another. Do you want to grow spiritually? This will not happen outside of a committed preoccupation with God's word and worship. So is the word of Christ dwelling in you richly? Are you committed to God's means of grace in your life? Are you embedded in the community life here at the church? The road to Christian maturity runs only through the word of Christ. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is a call to read, to reflect, to meditate, to memorize, to sing, and to pray the word for our own good but also so that we can share the word with others. You know, we do this so that we all can live lives that bring glory to the Lord Jesus. Verse 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our whole life and our words and works are to be done in the name of Jesus. To do something in the name of someone means to do it as their representative. We, do, we live our lives as commissioned representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, in whatever you do, whether you are a mechanic, a teacher, a banker, a doctor, a student, a parent, we do all things in the name of Christ, seeking to honor him above all else. You know, this is why we come together as a church. Spiritual maturity, spiritual growth is not an end in itself. We seek to grow so that our entire lives can be lived as grateful worship to God. And you know, we have so much to be grateful for. We were dead in our sins, but God has made us alive together with Christ Jesus. And when Jesus returns, we will appear with him in glory. Until then... Do you want to change? Do you want to grow? Then consider yourself in Christ. Put to death sin. Put on love and devote yourself to the word so that we can live our lives, not for ourselves, but for the God who sought us and bought us with the blood of his very son. Let us pray. Our great God and heavenly Father, you deal with us not according to our sin, 
but according to your abundant mercy. You have redeemed us. You have saved us. We could not save ourselves. And for that, Father, we are eternally grateful. Build in our hearts great reservoirs of gratitude so that as we go out and live our lives, we will do so out of the joy of knowing you, the true and living God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.